sign Cam Hayward. Not because he's a nice guy. Not because he's been a great humanitarian. Just because he's a really, really, really good football player and will remain such for a while. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network, which you can set to auto-downloads on your Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, all platforms. Auto-downloads are your friend. (laughs) I'll be heading over to Heinz Field this morning if I sound a little bit extra uh, good moodish, if you will. Looking forward to it. Have been for, well, I guess months now. It's not going to be the training camp any of us expected. It's not going to be the training camp, certainly, that the coaches or the players themselves would have wanted. But it's football, and we're getting closer to the September 14 opener on that Monday night between the Steelers and the Giants over in East Rutherford, New Jersey. That's exciting. All of it's exciting. The fact that the roster is as talented as it is is exciting. The fact that the offense looks like it could at least be something of a respectable match for the extraordinary defense that the Steelers have had, that's exciting. What isn't exciting, and it seldom is, is that the Steelers don't have a whole lot of outstanding contract situations. They don't have a whole lot of guys where there's any kind of potential for controversy, uh, you know, or bad blood boiling up or anything like that. And they really shouldn't have one now either. There are some guys who will be playing on expiring contracts. We've talked about them. James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster. Neither of those guys should be in line for anything remotely resembling an extension until they go and prove on the field that A, they can stay on the field, B, they can perform the way they had before 2019. I'm completely fine with that. But that leaves one guy and one guy alone and the last guy you'd want to have in that position. Really, out of 55 guys who are going to make that team, the last guy you'd want to be showing even the tiniest trace of disrespect is Cam Hayward. But he's the one. And look, nobody weeps for NFL players who have already made millions of dollars and have accrued fame and glory and everything else here. So I I don't want to make this sound as if it's, especially in a year like this, some type of tragedy. But we're talking about sports here, and we're talking about the Steelers, and we're talking about Cam. Cam Hayward, from the day he walked onto the campus at Latrobe as a first-round pick, as Ironhead's son, as the proud alum from Ohio State who'd achieved so much in college already, embraced being a Pittsburgh Steeler, and not just from the franchise standpoint. He did it from the defensive line standpoint. 
I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, so I'm going to share it here. That this defensive line has always viewed having certain traits, certain personalities, certain behaviors, the way they commit themselves as being something that's passed along from one to the next. They talk about it openly. They talk about it with passion. They talk about it after they're gone. We've heard it over the years, going all the way back to Mean Joe Green, who started everything, everything about the Pittsburgh Steelers as we know them today, started with 75 getting drafted in 1969. Everything started with literally the steel curtain, the defensive line. That's not to say it's always been great. There were some years where there were players on that line you'd rather forget somewhere along the way. But sooner rather than later, things got back to that same default, and you had Aaron Smith and Casey Hampton and Brett Kiesel. And they would pass the way to the next generation. Cam Hayward is the player who took that mantle for this generation of the defensive line, and he has excelled. And I'm talking about on the field. Off the field, Kiesel and I had a great talk about this once. The defensive line always likes to be seen as the leaders in the community when it comes to the Steelers. When people think about who does the community outreach, uh, who wins the chief award for cooperation with the media, uh, it's always the defensive line guys. They are extremely proud of that. They see it as a legacy issue. When Kiesel and Smith and Hampton and even Mean Joe, who's still around, see a Cam Hayward come along, they're proud of it because they feel like they started that. This is not a player that you don't keep wearing your uniform. There are some things that are bigger than football. Now, trying to be realistic here, First of all, this is what Cam Hayward had to say yesterday when asked if there had been any contract discussions whatsoever between the team and his agent. Nothing of any substance. Um, you know, uh, y'all know where I stand. Uh, you know, I want to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, I want to lead this team to a Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll see where we are. You know, um, I love my team. I love my teammates. Uh, I love the city, the coaches, um, and I love being a Pittsburgh Steeler. But, um, you know, um, you got to take two to tango. You know, I, I want to be here, and, I, you know, I just have to see what happens. You know, there's, what, a couple more weeks before the season, and uh, all I can focus on is what I can control, and I'll leave it at that. Hard to misinterpret that, huh? No talks means no talks. No movement means no movement. And Cam obviously hasn't changed anything at all about his stance that he wants to be a Steeler, plain and simple. If you're the Steelers, you have to be pragmatic. 
always. You have to set aside, to some extent, emotions. That's how Franco Harris got to spend that one year wearing the stupid bird on his helmet, to quote Terry Bradshaw, when he went off and signed with the Seahawks because the Steelers found his demands late in his career to be unreasonable. That's how Troy Polamalu ended up not being a Steeler, probably for as long as he'd hoped to be, and wasn't all that happy about it. But that's not the case here. Neither is the case here. And that, that's the point that I want to stress more than anything else, even while giving context for who Cam is and what he means. Cam Hayward was, according to Pro Football Focus, the analysts whose grades you can either take or discard or accept or embrace or pan. I, I, I hear that on all different spectrums. and The way we usually end up doing is we take these grades whenever they suit our arguments. So I'm just giving you the full background here. Cam Hayward was, according to PFF, the third best defensive player in all of football last year. You know who were the top two? Number two was T.J. Watt. Number one, exactly who you'd expect, Aaron Donald. Nice, huh? But no one thinks of Cam Hayward that way, do they? I, almost no one. They do inside the Steelers' locker room. Coaches do. They watch what he does. Interior line play is not the easiest facet of football to analyze. Certainly not for a casual observer. Certainly not for people like me and you. There's a lot going on in there, and we don't have access to all the film, all the assignments, all of everything that's supposed to be happening. We can generally tell when someone's having a great game, and we could see with our own eyes that Cam Hayward had a great 2019. Not a good one, not a very good one, a great one. And that goes double when you consider that he spent 10 games out of those 16 without Stefan Tuitt on that line to draw some of the attention. The guy's special. He's 31 years old. He won't turn 32 until next May, so he's a legit 31. And he's coming off what I can't imagine anybody would consider to be anything less than the best season of his career. Now, if he were to plunge, if he were to suddenly drop off into becoming a terrible football player or even an average or a mediocre football player, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. I, I was about to try to draw some kind of scenario. I can't. You watched him. You saw him. Sure, it does happen occasionally. Someone hits the proverbial wall at a certain point in their career. That's not what I saw from Cam Hayward. That's certainly not what I'm expecting to see from Cam Hayward within a broader defense that can do so many different things, from the secondary to the outside linebackers to having a dynamic inside linebacker behind him like Devin Bush, who's only going to get better in his second year. The incredible part about going up against the Pittsburgh defense is you, have, you can't pick and choose where you want to go. Every answer is no. That's only going to prolong and strengthen Cam's career. He's going to be 
a force, not just a good player, a force for another two, three years. I think that's a safe thing to predict here. How much do you commit to him? Defensive linemen don't last past 34 years old. It just almost never happens. There's too much involved in the position, not least of which is the toll that it takes on the body. If you lose a little bit of a step, you've lost a lot. But I think that if you go to Cam with a contract that covers three years and maybe something else, something in the way of guaranteed money or another show or a measure of respect, and you make sure that it doesn't tie your hands when it comes to paying TJ or ultimately when it comes to paying Minka, if you do that, I think you solve a great potential problem, but you also just do the right thing. You do the right thing for the Steelers now and the future and also the past, which does matter when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. When we come back, whew, all kinds of hockey news yesterday, huh? people who listens to this podcast but doesn't read our site, DK Pittsburgh Sports, I'm here to tell you that you're making a mistake and that if you're a hockey fan, you made a significant mistake yesterday. Dave Molinari, the Hall of Fame beat writer that we're blessed to have on our staff, had himself a day for the ages, breaking all kinds of news related to the Penguins. Beginning with Evgeny Malkin having had elbow surgery, which might explain how he takes 21 shots in a four-game series and doesn't score a goal. Sounds, without playing doctor here, as if this was a cleanup, considering he's supposed to be okay in a matter of two, three weeks, as opposed to some sort of repair. Nonetheless... Here's betting that was pretty uncomfortable and would have thrown him off enough. And then from there, Molinari reports that the Penguins are at least open to trading their number 15 overall pick in the coming draft. And as much as that'll scare people, uh, including people like myself who believe that they really need to be hanging on to these picks... I'll confess to at least being open-minded about it if they can parlay it into young, immediate help. Meaning, we'll give you our pick, but you got to give us your 20-year-old who's ready to jump into the NHL now. Something like that. It couldn't be. Absolutely couldn't be for an older player. No way. That's That stuff's got to stop. And then from there, Molinari further reported that the Penguins are open to having significant trade talks. That does not mean, to keep repeating this, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, But it does mean a lot of other guys 
who maybe we wouldn't have thought of in the past, as in like a couple weeks ago, would be, could be, available, depending on the way the market plays out. Jim Rutherford's, generally speaking, not shy at all to make trades. And he'll almost always say that he's considering them or open to them, so those headlines end up not feeling as blaring as they might with another GM. But this is different. This is different. Rutherford has made it abundantly clear, and he did again yesterday in his talk with Dave, that he's looking for a sea change. He's looking for this room, this dynamic, to start acting, feeling different than it has the last couple of years in particular. Remember when the Penguins lost to the Capitals in 2018 on the Evgeny Kuznetsov goal, the breakaway, at PPG Paints Arena? And the general consensus among the public was, well, that's great. I mean, the, the, the Penguins had their, they won two in a row, were happy, were proud of them. They got a standing ovation going off the ice, raised their sticks as they left. And it was like, that was, you know, this was good. We'll, we'll come back and we'll get them next year. Rutherford, you'll recall, might have been the only person in town who was really dissatisfied with it. He felt that something was missing. And so they brought back Matt Cullen. And when they did, Rutherford talked about feeling a need to inject some leadership, some accountability into the room. Rutherford's got a lot of openness as it relates to new ideas, new concepts, certainly for a man in his 70s. I don't know that he could sit there in Corsi and Fenwick with the nerdiest of the nerds, but I'm guessing that, uh, not guessing, I know that he takes into account advice that he gets from his advanced analytics people. He takes them seriously. He doesn't just humor them. But at the end of the day, he's still watching, as almost all hockey evaluators are, for one thing above all else when it comes to performance, and that's effort. Hockey's a unique sport in that regard. Uh, in baseball, effort's just expected. In football, effort is expected because there are so few snaps and so few games. In hockey, almost everything is judged by a metric of effort and your ability to consistently apply that effort over the course of a long, grueling schedule. And it's openly acknowledged as wavering, something else that you don't see in other sports. And it's seen as a character trait, individually and collectively. And right now, Rutherford is back to the spot where he's not seeing what he expects in terms of effort. How does he solve that? The answers for that aren't going to be real simple. It's not going to be a case where he can snap his fingers and hope that his kids, Sam Lafferty, Anthony Angelo, Adam Johnson, 
Samuel Poulin, Nathan Legere can just ride into Pittsburgh this winter and say, it's our team, Jim. Don't worry about it. We got it. That's not going to happen. There has to be more to it. And at the same time, if he's not giving up his main pieces, then he's going to have to rely on whatever he gets in trades for Matt Murray, for maybe someone like Patrick Hornquist, assuming they can work around the no-trade clause, for maybe someone that we wouldn't expect, like a Jared McCann, like a Brian Rust, where you say in the case of Rust, you're going to sell at peak value. Dude, I, I wouldn't like that one at all. I just had to throw that in there because that's the kind of stuff that GMs have to think about, you know? But if you look at, at his roster overall, there's not a ton that he can give up and expect this massive, magnificent wave of young talent to just cascade through the Penguins' NHL-level roster. It's not going to happen. So one of the things that you can do to mitigate that is to find players who are high-energy, high-octane players who aren't necessarily young. I mean, Brandon Tanev's the guy I know that came to your mind first when, as, when I said that, but there's a reason for that. Uh, there's not a whole lot of Tanevs in the NHL. Uh, he is, he's a freak. But there are more. There are others. And if your general feeling about the, the Penguins is that they lack that, that energy, that burst, that jump, that puck pursuit to get into a more of a, a hockey thing, then that's the kind of player that you go and get, not in the old school agitator sense or whatever, but somebody who can legitimately get it done. I'm not suggesting that the Penguins pursue this particular player at all, but just to give you another example, someone like Brendan Gallagher from the Canadians who can do everything. He's an agitator, he scores a bunch, and he's just everywhere. He's got boundless energy. No one would ever ask how old Brendan Gallagher is, because you'd never know or care. There's just a certain style to the way he competes. While also producing and being smart with the puck and all that other stuff. Maybe that's a mechanism for this. And then from there you buy some time for your younger players, your minor league system, your draft picks to build up. It's not perfect. I, I know everybody wants a perfect solution for this. And you hear this and you go, eh, that doesn't sound all that. It's not going to be. It's not going to be. But if your solution is to go to the other extreme and say, well, just get rid of Malkin and Latang and let's go young. Put go young in all caps and quotes because that's what people like to say. Let's Go young, as if there can only be two extremes to that. That's not an answer either. Because you've got the greatest player of his generation here in Pittsburgh, staying in Pittsburgh. And you'd better believe you owe something to him. In the first segment, I spoke about what the Steelers owe to Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward's never won a ring. It's nothing compared to what the Penguins and to what the city and everybody else owes Crosby. You're not going to put Sidney Crosby through a rebuild. You're just not. 
you have to find a way to make it work with him. And as long as you have Malkin and Latang both at incredibly, remarkably affordable rates, and cap hits do matter, you absolutely keep all three. It's what you do around them that counts. Oh, and good luck to Jim. I, you know, as many answers as he gave Dave Molinari yesterday, I was still left with even more questions. When we come back, some baseball. Heading over to Heinz Field this morning, as mentioned, looking forward to being part of our coverage at the Steelers training camp. Dale Lawley was there yesterday. Dale will be doing most of these the rest of the way. Leading into the September 14 season opener in East Rutherford, New Jersey, against the Giants. I won't be, because of that, tonight at PNC Park where the Pirates are back in action, taking on the Indians. J.T. Brubaker with a 7.05 first pitch. Cleveland throwing out Carlos Carrasco. That's a three-game series. And, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I tried. Like, I was trying to make that sound like it's like a real thing. Like, uh, three-game series. You know the way radio people do? And it sounds so official and important. It's it's not. Uh, the Pirates season was shot to the moon a week into it. Nobody could dispute that. Nobody can erase that. So what are we looking for the rest of the way? Well, I think tonight is actually a good benchmark for that. Ben Charrington has said that he wants to see the Pirates quote-unquote, get better. He wants to see the roster get stronger. What he really wants, and he's never going to use callous terms like this, but I will, what he wants are assets. Um, Whether those are assets that he chooses to keep, whether those are assets that he chooses to trade. And if Brubaker can become an apparent part of the franchise's future, that's not a small thing. Because for all the things that are screwed up in baseball's economics and the awful, unfair system that's in place, you're allowed to keep, not allowed, you, you, you have the rights to keep a player for six full years before they go to free agency. That's longer than any other sport. One reason I roll my eyes whenever I'll hear from someone as soon as they see a, a player like last year, Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman doing well, they go, oh, it won't be long until they're playing for the Yankees. Yeah, it actually will. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it will. Sorry, hate to break the narrative bubble, but it will. The Pirates, more often than not, have kept the players they've wanted to keep, uh, including under the Bob Nutting ownership over the past 12 years. Everyone's going to talk about Garrett Cole because Neil Huntington made a horrendous trade thinking he was trading Cole at his peak and he ended up getting four mediocre players back. That's just a terrible baseball move. I mean, they could have afforded Cole. That wasn't a move made by ownership. That's a terrible, horrendous, back-breaking, soul-crushing baseball move. Andrew McCutcheon was traded into what would have been 
his free agent years. The Pirates actually did sign him to an extension, and he was traded, as history has borne out, unlike the coal trade, at a pretty good time, with an excellent return in Reynolds and Kyle Crick. The rest of them have all been kept. Starling Marte, Gregory Polanco, uh, these are guys that were signed to extensions. It doesn't mean anything now, but Felipe Vasquez was too. They've done that more often than not when they've had high-end players that have come up. The problem is, as I've been pounding on the desk for a few years now, they haven't had enough of these guys. They don't have enough of these types of decisions to make. So that's what Charrington needs. He needs assets. He needs to be forced into making more tough decisions like those. Who do I keep? Who do I move? What do I get for them? How old are they? How much of the future can they help me out with? Brubaker can be part of that. Other guys, on the other hand, Trevor Williams, who's scheduled to pitch the third game of this series after Stephen Brault takes his turn tomorrow night, is a perfect candidate, I would think, to be traded at the coming deadline. And by the way, there still is a trade deadline in this miniature season. For anybody who doesn't know it, it's the end of August rather than the end of July. Teams are expecting to not see much movement. We're hearing and reading that a lot because everyone thinks they're in it because the math shows that they are. Heck, you could make a a criminally insane argument, but an argument nonetheless that the Pirates are in it just by looking at where they are in terms of games back in the wild card. No, I'm not wasting anybody's time looking it up. But it's something that if it were a normal season, you'd go, oh, yeah, they they could still be in this. They're not, and they're not going to be. But everyone else thinks they're in it. And as a result, you don't see many teams around baseball where you can say with certainty, that's going to be a seller. That team right there is going to be a seller. Well, everyone knows that out of 30 teams, at least one, the one in Pittsburgh, is lined up to be a seller. That puts Charrington in a pretty good spot. And if it turns out that he has pitching to give... And by that, I don't mean pitching to give as if, like, the Pirates have so much to spare. I'm talking about simply from the standpoint of nothing other than procuring younger talent in exchange. If they think that Charrington has, let's say, a Trevor Williams or a Joe Musgrove, Keone Kella, everybody's always looking for a closer at the deadline. You can always get them to overpay for a closer. What if Kella gets his his act together after the delayed start to his season? What if he really sharpens up and puts a few saves together? You're not going to get a mint for anybody, but you get something. You'll start that process. And then, finally, once and for all, everybody can start talking about rebuilding because that's when you'll actually be into the rebuilding. I'm not sure how much of this is going to happen. The season is so unusual that the same teams that all think they're in it could also be thinking to themselves that within a week they could be out of it. And then they'll have made those moves for nothing. And then they'll really regret it. 
so it's very hard to predict. What we do know is that for now, but especially for the future, these final two weeks of August, this franchise would do really well to have some solid, not even necessarily great, but solid individual performances to bolster the pieces that Ben Charrington can potentially offer to other teams in a trade. Hey, I didn't say this was going to be fun. Like, <laughs> let's talk about the ball game or whatever. This, this, these are the Pirates. This is this is what you talk about. I mean, I could just talk about how what we really need in Pittsburgh more than anything else in baseball is a salary cap, but you heard that one from me for four months. So at least I'm trying to move on to semi-baseball topics with this. Uh, beginning today, we will have a daily Steelers podcast with exactly the two individuals you'd want from our staff doing that, Dale Lawley and Chris Carter. I am really looking forward to that. And later in the day and then going into tomorrow's show, I'm going to be going very heavy on Steelers because I'm going to Heinz Field and I'm going to watch training camp. Thanks so much for listening to this. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.